A few years ago, my partner and I moved from the East Coast to the Pacific Northwest. We didn't know anyone in this city. We just saved up a decent chunk of money and hopped on a plane. It was exciting, and we certainly haven't regretted it. The plan was to stay at hostels and cheap hotels until we could find work and an apartment. Finding work was actually quite easy for us. We had new jobs within a week of getting off the plane. Finding somewhere to live, though, was a nightmare. Everywhere we looked had incredibly steep requirements for credit scores and minimum household income. We tried more legitimate sites at first, but after two months of hopping around to different hostels, motels, and different places, we became desperate, so we went to Craigslist. So one day, I'm desperately scouring Craigslist for rooms, and I come across one that seemed a little weird. The poster said that he had a very large house in a nice neighborhood, and that he wanted to rent out a 500 square foot room for $600 per month, with utilities included. In this city, that was suspiciously cheap. He also wrote it in a rambling sort of way. It was almost half an ad for a room, and half open letter to everyone who had recently accused him of being creepy. Now obviously, if we weren't so desperate, we wouldn't even have considered contacting this man, but we thought that we might have been at risk of running out of money before we can get in somewhere at this rate, so we gave him a call. On the phone, he sounded relatively normal. He actually suggested that we meet up with him at a public place to talk about the room first. We agreed to meet him at a restaurant near the hostel we were staying at though we didn't tell him which one, of course. He showed up late and looked surprised to actually see us there. He sat down and he talked for a long time. I say he talked rather than we talked because he rambled non-stop about himself and how he felt persecuted by everyone in this city. He claimed to be an artist and a collector and between him repeating himself many times about how the locals just don't understand his passions, he also told us that the room he had advertised was currently filled with his collection, and that if things went well, he would have to hire people to move it to storage before we could move in. At one point he stopped talking abruptly and ran to the restroom. We took this opportunity to discuss the situation. We knew at this point that he probably was a crazy person, but the threat of homelessness was looming, so we agreed that we should at least see the place and decide based on that, rather than his weirdness. He came back to the table, sweaty and flustered. Before we could say anything, he blurted out, I want to take you to the apartment right now. We were surprised by this, but we had just discussed seeing it, so we agreed. I asked him to text me the address and that we would take public transportation and meet him there. He insisted that he drive us there since we didn't have a car. Now we were obviously hesitant to get in his truck, but the previously mentioned desperation was still a thing and we were pretty sure he wasn't going to try to hurt us. So we crammed into the front seat of his tiny, rusty, ancient looking pickup truck. My partner was pressed against the door, and I was uncomfortably close to the driver 
as he continued his babble about how this city had gone downhill and how everyone he used to hang out with shuns him these days. At one point, I whispered to my partner to get ready for a possible tuck and roll situation. He saw me whispering, but couldn't hear me over the wind roaring through the cab of the truck, and he said something about we being romantic together and that he envied our youth. We arrived at his house minutes after that. He had been technically honest up to this point. His neighborhood was decent looking, and his home was a pretty large one-story ranch house. I noted out loud that he had bars on all of his windows and several locks on his front door. He said that his collection was very valuable to him, and he was just protecting it from thieves. Once he let us in, I made a point of urging him ahead so that he couldn't get a chance to lock the door behind us. We very quickly noticed three things. His art, his collection, and the fucking smell. The man's method of art, of which he was very proud of, was apparently to take lots of innocent childlike things, baby dolls, stuffed animals, ceramic figurines, children toys, and attach dildos to them. One of the most notable pieces being the one he referred to as his unicorn was a ceramic horse figurine that he sloppily sawed the head off of and replaced with the baby doll's head and added a hand-sculpted clay penis as the horn. His collection consisted mainly of rubber, plastic, and latex clothing and gas mask. Both his collection and his art was everywhere. The place was so jam-packed with junk that every room had only a single file path going through it that you can walk without bumping into art or stepping on piles of fetish wear. This fellow was definitely not concerned about cleanliness. The place reeked of mildew and moldy rubber. The carpet looked as if it hadn't seen a vacuum since the 70s. As we passed through the kitchen, he declared that he loves cast iron pans because you don't have to wash them. Just as we noticed that every countertop was clustered with rusted pans that all looked to have decades worth of scorched food caked on. We stayed behind him, mostly silent, as he stopped every now and then to point out his favorite art pieces and to repeatedly tell us that he was leading us to the room that was full of his favorite stuff, but that he'd get people to move it out for us. He said that like us moving in was a sure thing. He opened the door to the room and actually said, Voila! I don't doubt that this room was around 500 square feet, but every inch of it was stuffed with clothing racks. The clothing racks were all packed with the same thing. Shiny rubber, latex, and plastic pairs of pants with dildos sewn to the front of them. Up to this point, we were doing our best to avoid reacting to all the freaky stuff in this guy's home because we were afraid he would snap on us if we did. But I started to notice something after a while, that he was getting disappointed that we weren't reacting to anything. My guess is that he gets off on shocking people with his creepy pants and that this wasn't going as well as he had hoped. We told him that the room looked big enough and that we'd like to go back to our hotel and think it over. He didn't have much of a reaction to that but he agreed to drive us home now. When he thought that I wasn't looking, he took something out of his pocket and tossed it through the open doorway of a dark room 
on his way past it. I was afraid that it might have been his car keys, so I used a light on my phone to peek in as we passed that room. The whole room was a pile of tied-off used condoms, or sperm balloons as my partner called them later. We later speculated that he was masturbating at the restaurant and added a balloon to the pile before taking his back. So we piled back into his truck and had a long, awkward drive back to the place we had met. His rambling was much more frustrated this time around, and he passed where we wanted to get out three times before we just jumped out at a red light, frantically shouting, This is good. Here, oh, it was nice meeting you. Thanks, bye. I added his number to my contacts as Mr. Creepy Pants. Over the next several days, he sent a few text messages asking if we talked it over yet. I wanted to be polite, so I just said, We decided against it, but thank you for the very nice offer. He responded with the phrase, Are you creeped out yet? Copied and pasted over and over about 30 times. I'm not sure why I was still trying to be polite, but when he stopped spamming me, I responded, No, we thought that your collection was lovely, but it's just so large that we can't bring ourselves to ask you to move it. It took him a few more days to respond, but he did and he took it better than I had expected. Yeah, I really didn't want to move it. Thanks for understanding. He then made a recommendation for a local burger place for some reason. I blocked his number shortly after that, just to be safe. For the record, we didn't care that he was a fetishist of some sort. We cared that he was really freaking gross. So Mr. Creepy Pants, let's not meet again. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. I was 23 when I got my first good-paying job, and with over 40 grand in student loan debt, I had been living with my parents for the last few years to try to save up some money, so this was a huge deal. I wanted to get as far away as I could from the small town I grew up in. I began spending my lunch break at work looking through Craigslist ads at beautiful yet overpriced apartments in the city. I was going to be making more money than any 23-year-old I knew, but paying $1,500 a month for a studio apartment was not an option no matter how nice the view the skyline was. Giving up my lame visions of walking to Starbucks and drinking mimosas on the rooftop, I expanded my search and accepted the fact that I will be living in a suburb for a while. I vividly remember refreshing my apartment search to see a new listing for a decent-sized place for less than half of what was expected. I assumed it was a classic half-off-your-first-month type of deal but I still clicked. I ran through the short, oddly worded post and clicked through the images of the brightly colored walls and antique features, and I was intrigued. It was definitely not a professional posting, but the location on the ad showed it being right in the center of Uptown Dallas, just south of Highland Park. The area is well known as being the place for young money. The trendiest bars, boutiques, and restaurants are here. 
Ray-Bans and spray tans are basically required. I was obviously interested. It sounded too good to be true. But seriously, how could a 23-year-old say no to the idea of having a badass apartment, perfect for the stumble home from the bar with your friends kind of night? I called the number on the ad after work, and to my complete surprise, the obviously elderly man that answered told me he could meet me for a tour right then. I exited the highway, turned back around, and sped to what I assumed would be my dream come true. I followed the directions on my phone, but I already knew the area from bar crawls and random events at the way too expensive restaurants that lined the streets that are understacked under lofts and condos that look down at the pedestrians, which happen to be mostly spoiled rich kids. I passed huge, three-story condos and pulled up to a house. Not an apartment, a house. It was like time stopped in 1900 on this tiny plot of land, and the whole world kept moving around it. I cannot tell you how out of place it looked. How had I not seen it before? The house is a two-story white brick home, with ivy and stone-lined long-dead gardens lining the property. I stayed in my car until I saw the beat-up white Ford truck that the old man mentioned pull up. He slowly got out, and he looked exactly how he sounded on the phone. Maybe 75, and obviously had a hard time getting around. Let's look at it, was all he grumbled, and we slowly made our way through a doorway that had a heavy wood and glass paint door propped open with a stone. It was the first peculiar thing about this house. Something seemed off though, but I brushed it aside. First, let me t- tell you that. <coughs> let me tell you that someone has already agreed to put a deposit on this unit, but I'm certain another will come soon. He casually mentioned as he fumbled with the keys to the door as we stood in a narrow hallway. I glazed over for a second. How can this happen already? We talked 15 minutes ago, I furiously thought. He was so calm and in hindsight, confident that another unit would open soon. Oddly, the house had four units. Well, five of you count the guest house in the back, which ended up having a much creepier past. I was deflated, but agreed to get the tour. The door opened, and the place was amazing. The antique hardwood floors and arched doorways gave the living room so much character. I was strangely interested in the glass doorknobs with keyholes that I've only seen in movies. It was amazing. It was rough around the edges, but had so much life. I felt like I was stepping back in time. The tour went quickly. The bathroom was old and needed some TLC, but the hardware was updated and the only downside was the old narrow hallways that limited the bathroom door to a cheap plastic accordion style door that was closed with a magnet. Not classy, but I decided I could work with it. The sun sprawled through what seemed like countless windows and we made our way to the bedroom. I loved it, but when I looked into the small closet, Laden with copper pipes running through the back, I felt unsettled. I remember saying out loud, I don't think I'll be using that at all, and stepping back away a few steps. This was out of character, as I am usually the people pleaser that smiles and nods in any attempt not to seem the least bit unhappy. But this was something strange. 
Again, I brushed it aside. We finished the tour, and I thanked him before planning to get back in my car and leave. However, he mentioned that if the guy that was supposed to drop off the deposit didn't come by night, then I can have it. For some reason, I decided to blurt out, What if I get the cash right now? And shocked by my own bold offer, stared at him as he seemed to consider it. There was apprehension, but he agreed. The poor other guy was never mentioned again, and he may have been just a story to make to sell. But even so, $500 cash from a nearby ATM, and two signatures later, it was mine. I was bewildered, but I had the keys. I did it. The first week was filled with alcohol and parties. The place had an odd smell that I told friends with city plumbing issues, but can never be located. Although the owner said it was a dead raccoon in a crawl space under the house, it never fully went away, just subsided for periods of time. The lights didn't start turning off until week two. I didn't realize it at first. I didn't believe it even after I realized it was happening. I just kept telling myself things I remembered parents in movies saying. It's an old house. It's your wiring. It's your imagination. But it wasn't. I took showers at night, usually around 9 or 10, and I left a stupid accordion door open because it was a hassle and really irritatingly loud. There were no lights right outside the door in the hall, so I left the kitchen light on at all times because of the odd layout that made certain areas dim. I remember finishing up with a shower one night and looking up from my towel to see a completely dark hallway. Why did I turn the light off before I got in? I'm so fucking stupid, I thought. This happened a few times over a couple weeks before I started consciously making sure it was on as I walked to the shower. Then in complete disbelief that it was still happening, I started taping the light switch on. When I heard the tape rip over the sound of the shower one night, I sat down in the tub and cried. I had never felt so helpless before. It hit me at that moment that there was something there with me. The next few weeks calmed down. I accepted that maybe it was a fluke, my mind, stress, anything. It was over, I thought. I felt good. I went on with my life, filling my living room closet with party dresses and high heels to wear out, yet still avoiding the bedroom closet that gave me such a strange feeling. I opened the door and looked in a few times, but couldn't bring myself to go inside. It was small, no overhead light, but there were four or five circular push-on lights stuck to the walls, the kind you buy at Home Depot for small spaces or whatever. None of them worked, and there were way too many than would be needed. I wondered if they stopped working or what, but I never felt the need to put any new batteries in them. I just closed the door and pretended that closet didn't exist. The odd smell continued. It came and it went. Nighttime wasn't quite on my street. The sound of high hills on pavement and tipsy laughter were a constant. I never felt apprehension about sitting on the porch or having a glass of wine on the front lawn. So I realized my laptop from work was left in my car. I didn't think twice about throwing on my ratty converse and walking outside to grab it. 
I pulled myself away from Netflix and went outside. As I reached for the door of my car, something made me glance up at the front window of my apartment. What I expected to be light flickering from Netflix playing on my TV and the ceiling light shining through the blinds was only darkness. It was pitch black. I wasn't scared. I was confused. My mind raced and my heart beat like crazy. I couldn't wrap my mind around it. The electricity went out, I told myself. It had to have. Unfortunately, the electricity was never the issue. I always turned the lights back on. I slowly got used to this and tried to enjoy my new freedom in the city. I got new neighbors. A few times. People didn't stay. I went out. I met people. And I dated. I ended up starting a new relationship and making it a few months in. One night, after months of occasional creepy apartment situation, things got worse. The guy, I will call him John, that I had been dating was sleeping over. We had a really petty argument and he went to bed as I finished reading something on my laptop in the living room. Maybe 30 or 40 minutes after he went to sleep, I heard a gasp, rustling, and he bounded into the living room with a look of horror on his face. What is that? He gasped and grabbed me off the couch. He mumbled something about a man and just frantically pointed at my bedroom. He tried to grab me. He's gone. What is that? I couldn't comprehend what was happening. And by the time I realized John wasn't dreaming, he refused to talk about it. He demanded we go to his place for the night and refused to even go back into my bedroom for his shoes. Days passed and I slept on the couch. I couldn't admit that I was scared, but I didn't want to see what he saw. Slowly, I was starting to lose myself. Days were spent living in a hundred square feet of my living room and obsessively taping light switches. It wasn't healthy. I was scared and I felt alone. I made the decision that I needed a companion, so I drove to the local pet shelter for a kitten one afternoon. I had the classic honeymoon phase with him and went through the normal stages of training a pet. He was happy and healthy for the first few weeks. He gained some weight and started looking like an awkward teenage cat. He was my best friend. He greeted me at the door every day after work and would meow at my heels until I gave him his daily soft food. It was a routine, and it was comfortable. It got my mind off of the things I couldn't predict. That's why I knew something was not okay when I unlocked a door and he wasn't there. Months had passed, and he was always there. Always. That day, he wasn't. I threw my bag down and searched the living room, under the couches, in the kitchen, the bathtub, and his usual places to hide when we played. That's when I heard his scream. It wasn't a meow or a hiss. It was genuine pain. I felt it in my heart. Something got him. I ran for him. He was in my bedroom. I could tell. I locked eyes on him as soon as I entered the room. He was stuck, his front paw bleeding all over the white door of my closet. Somehow, his claws had been pinched in between the metal parts of the door hinge, and he was stuck, gasping to breathe. He had pulled out two claws already, and was hanging there, 
on his hind legs with one claw stuck and twisting his toe backwards. His other paw looked like it had been slammed in the door, bleeding from the pads. I was horrified and quickly threw my makeup bag on the floor, rummaging for toenail clippers. I managed to lift him up and clip his claw enough to get him free without ripping another claw. I rushed him to the vet as he was obviously in a ton of pain. He ended up just needing stitches, getting rehydrated, and pain meds. It was a one-night stay, but I never took him back to the apartment. He lives with my parents now. Things continued to happen in the apartment that I couldn't explain. The pipes in the closet sounded like metal tapped on them all night. Footsteps could be heard on the wooden back porch, and lights constantly acted up as I called it. It wasn't until something clearly said my name as I cooked in the kitchen alone that I decided to pack up. I didn't sleep in the apartment after that. I broke the lease that day, a month short of a year. The owner accepted it and casually told me to leave the keys in the mailbox. I did, and I never looked back. I started researching the house a few months after leaving. My mom always encouraged me to do some digging and see what I could find. However, something always pushed me to let go and just move on. I pulled info on the real estate sites and there were hundreds of people that had previously lived at the home. It was converted to a rent house in the late 80s and built in 1928, but still seemed like people never really stayed long. I found a news article about there being a shooting years ago, but there were not many details. I went back to the house a few months after leaving to look for a bike lock that I thought I may have left chained to the tree in the back, and I ran into the guy who lived in the guest house. We struck up a conversation, and I mentioned some of the stuff that I experienced. He wasn't phased, and he told me that he had way more alarming things happen. The guest house was a loft-style two-story building. The kitchen and small living room were on the ground level, and a bedroom and bath upstairs. The bottom floor also had a side door facing the street that looked like it had been sealed and painted over. It wasn't until I went back that I realized that all the bottom floor windows facing the alley had also been sealed and boarded over. They were covered with ivy, so I never paid them any attention. The numbering of units was also strange. The main house had four apartments, two first floor and two second. The first floor was numbered one and two, and you would assume the second would be three and four, but for some reason, it was three and five. The back unit was number four. Probably stupid, but this irritated me. He said that when he moved in, there was no railing on the stairs, so he tried to put some up himself. He said that every time he would install railing, he would wake up and slats would be broken or pulled out from the wood that he screwed it into. He replaced them every time until it went on for weeks and he stopped. Apparently the entire railing fell down one night and he never put it back. He said he decided to investigate under the stairs one day to see what the fuck was going on. He pulled back boards and slats off the floor and found hundreds of handwritten notes and drawings. Not kids' drawings, 
but sketches that looked like they had been by an adult. He felt they were very disturbing, like someone had been locked in and was spending all day doing this. They were all the same. The scariest thing he mentioned were the scratches on the door to get under the stairs. Long, deep scratches ran along the whole inside of the door, and the frame had dents and gouges all around. Apparently, the keyhole was bent and damaged from the inside, with bits of wood and plaster wedged in, like someone was trying to break out from inside. He said he put everything back where it was, and offered to show me the door. I declined. I didn't want any of it coming home with me. I was still shaken up at the time, and just looked for my lock and left. I am honestly glad I didn't go in. Any suggestions on how to find more info on a home would be greatly appreciated. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.